So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing of self, from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also, also to the interests of others. Amen. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord God, as we have uh, just sung, God, we need you for all things. God, we need you to save us from our sins. God, we have sinned against you. And Lord, we thank you that you are rich in mercy. We thank you for the finished work of your Son. And we pray, God, that as we look to your word this evening, that you would speak to us your truth, that we would be united together in your spirit, that you would convict us, that you would give us the love that you have for us, we would have towards one another. Would you be glorified and exalted in this time as we worship you, as we look in your word, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, last week, uh, if you were here, we saw that Paul has made a transition in his letter in verse 27. If you remember verse 27, he says this, he says just one thing, right? It's like as if he's holding up his finger, like just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we saw last week that as you live as a citizen of heaven here on earth, you will receive opposition, that there is spiritual warfare that goes on and he starts off by talking about the external opposition which we looked at last week and he says that we will suffer for christ but through it all we ought to stand firm striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and now he continues to talk about opposition that we may face but this time the opposition does not come externally but comes internally. And in these four verses, Paul urges the church to be unified together. As fellow citizens of heaven, do not let there be opposition and disunity amongst one another, but instead be united together. Like last week, remember the example of being the away team, right? And and in the hostile environment, in that you already have uh, the opposing team, that the enemy that's against you. And so don't, as a team, you, you don't want to be against one another. You don't want to be fighting against one another because uh, you, you are already facing an opponent. And so you need to be united together as a team to not defeat one another. And in the same way, Christians are fellow citizens of heaven and not to be united with one another. And so in these four verses, Paul calls the church of Philippi to complete his joy by being united with one another. 
And tonight we're going to look at three aspects of Christian unity. First, we'll look at the foundation of Christian unity, as in what is the basis? What is it that supports our unity? And secondly, we'll look at the command of Christian unity. What is the command in this passage? And then thirdly, we're going to look at the expression of Christian unity. And how is it that we can express unity with one another? All right, so first... We see the foundation of Christian unity, which is found in verse 1. The foundation of Christian unity, which is found in verse 1. And there will be four points in this section, because Paul lists four ways that believers are unified with one another. Now, these are not commands. But rather, they they lay the foundation of Christian unity. This is the basis of how believers are united together as citizens of heaven. And he starts off, if you're looking at chapter 2, verse 1, he starts off by saying, so if there is any, and then he lists four phrases. And in saying this, so, if there's any, he's connecting what he had just said previously, if you remember the opposition that comes externally, and he's setting this up. He's basically saying, since these four things are true, he is speaking of objective realities of the Christian and the unity that already exists amongst Christians. He's saying these are the foundations of your unity. All right, so the first foundation we see that's laid here is that believers are unified by the encouragement of Christ. Believers are unified by the encouragement of Christ. These are all found in verse 1. He says right there at the beginning, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, or since there is an encouragement of Christ, The first thing we need to remember is what we, and I say we as in Christians, what we possess in Christ. In fact, what were the two things that Paul had just said were granted to us for the sake of Christ? What did he just say in verse 29? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Faith and suffering. We have to remember, as we looked at last week, that we have been given, Christian, been given the gift of faith. That if you are in the body of Christ, God has granted to you, by His grace, faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith defines now who you are. This faith changes everything. And not only that, but we've also been given the gift to suffer for Christ. That now as citizens of heaven, we live in a manner worthy of the gospel in such a way that will bring persecution to our lives. And it's a joy and it's a blessing to be able to suffer for the sake of Christ. There is encouragement in knowing that as believers, we share the same faith. And we share in our suffering for the sake of Christ. Both are gifts given to us by God. And we are in this together. What greater encouragement is there to know, is there than to know that you are in Christ? And to know that everyone else in the body is in Christ. 
just as you are. That we share the same faith together. That we suffer together. Well, these truths unite Christians together. There is encouragement in Christ, knowing of the sweet blessings that we possess in Him and that we share in these blessings with one another, both in faith and in our suffering. Secondly, we see that believers are unified by their love for one another. Believers are unified by their love for one another. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, believers are unified by their love for one another. He says there is comfort in love. Now, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the love of Christ? That there's comfort in the love of Christ? Or is he talking about their love for one another? That there's comfort in your love for one another? I actually think it's both. Because you really cannot separate the two. The love of Christ will spur you on to love others. And this is the foundation of unity in Christ. There's great comfort first in the love of Christ. To know, Christian, that you are his. To know that you belong to him. To know that he loves you deeply. There's comfort in that. I mean, let's just pause there for a second. Do you find comfort in the love of Christ? Do you find comfort in the love that he has for you? Sometimes we can be very fragile, are we not? Our joy may be lost. When a relationship is broken or strained. Our hope may be shattered when we read the news or or, or when we receive bad news. Our purpose may be lost when things aren't going according to plan. Where will you find comfort? There is comfort in the love of Christ. Do you know this comfort? Do you find comfort in his love? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all affliction. Do you find your comfort in God? And not only that, but this verse says that in receiving comfort from God, we can then comfort others who are in affliction as well. You see, let that love of Christ and the comfort that you receive from Him, let that flow out of you to love others in the same way. The same sacrificial, 
unconditional love that Christ shows you and that comforts you is the same kind of love that we show one another. It is an outpour of his love towards us. That when we see another believer, that we view them in light of the same love that Christ has towards us. And so we don't separate from them. And so we don't divide. It doesn't matter our disagreements. It doesn't matter our differences. But we are united together and we are comforted in our love for one another, stemming from the love of Christ. Do you have love for one another in such a way that brings comfort to others? Paul says this is the foundation to our unity in Christ. Thirdly, we see that believers are unified by the fellowship of the Spirit. Believers are unified by the fellowship of the Spirit. Still in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. Now the ESV says participation in the Spirit. It's a good translation. The word there is koinonia. Some of you guys may remember that word koinonia. You may know it. We, we looked at that word when we were in chapter 1, verse 5, that it conveys this idea of fellowship, of a deep fellowship, of a partnership really, or a participation together. It's this deep fellowship that we are participating, that we are in deep partnership together, bound in unity through the Holy Spirit. That there is this fellowship that we have with one another and everyone in the body of Christ. Being a citizen of heaven and being in the body of Christ is not just saying that you like Christian values and you agree with Christian values. It's not saying I have similar interests or I have similar values and so we can find ourselves maybe agreeing on Christianity and, and, and we can agree on, on Christian things together and so, so we're partners. No, being a citizen of heaven is saying we are in deep fellowship. We are in deep partnership together that we are bound by something or, or rather we're bound by someone that is greater than anything else we are bound in christ by the holy spirit and it is an unbreakable bond we are unified in this see it's not that but we have a lot in common so we're bound by our commonality. No, we are bound by the grace of the Father through the blood of Christ and sealed by His Spirit. See, the reason why we have horizontal fellowship with one another is first because we have vertical fellowship with God. You guys understand the difference between horizontal and, and vertical? Okay, you understand that? You know what a horizon is? Yeah. You look out the horizon. 
The earth is not flat. It's not what we're saying. Okay? Horizontal. What we're saying, we have horizontal fellowship with one another, with other believers, only first because we have a vertical fellowship with God. If you do indeed have fellowship with God, then you do have fellowship with one another. You must. 1 John 1, 6 through 7. Listen to what John says. 1 John 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, talking about God, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as in right, we have fellowship with him, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. So you can't have vertical fellowship and yet have no horizontal fellowship. It's impossible. You can't say, yes, I have fellowship with God. I have partnership with God. I'm good with God. But I have no fellowship with the body. I'm not good horizontally with his people. No. Our unity is grounded in the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit. So do not say that you have fellowship with God, but you have no fellowship with his people. That's impossible. The same spirit in you is the same spirit in me and every believer. He has changed you and he has transformed you from the inside out. He, he has made you a citizen of heaven. He has given you new desires. He has given you new priorities. And he has done all the same to me. And he has done all the same to every believer. And so we can be united and we can both say together, God is my everything. We can both say, he is my life. We have fellowship. We have partnership in the spirit. See, this partnership in the spirit is far deeper than, than a partnership you may have on a sports team or a partnership you have with someone in a musical band or someone else that has a common interest as you. You may say, oh, no, we're really tight. Yeah, we have great fellowship. It is not as deep as the partnership that we have in the spirit. Are you united with the body in the fellowship and the partnership of the Spirit. Fourthly and lastly in this section is that believers are unified by their compassion for one another. Believers are unified by their compassion for one another. Still in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. That's where I'm getting compassion from. Any affection and sympathy. Similarly, how we saw that the love of one another is an outpour of Christ's love for us, I think the same can be said here. That the tender compassion and mercy of God towards His people creates a unifying compassion and mercy towards one another. Do you see that? Christian, 
do you remember the compassion and the mercy that you've received from God? Just stop and contemplate and remember the compassion, the mercy that you've received from God. That you deserve hell. That you deserve separation from God. That you deserve the eternal wrath of God. And yet God has withheld that from you. And instead, he pours his love and his grace onto you. Remember, Christian, that you have received the greatest mercy of all. Will you then not show that same mercy and compassion to your brother and sister in Christ? To the same people whom God has chosen to show mercy and compassion to, will you not choose to do the same? You see, our unity is grounded in our compassion for one another. We have to see the compassion and the mercy that we have received from God, and we have to show that to one another. Not be divided amongst each other. So you see, here are four stones in the foundation of the unity that we have in the body of Christ. And so, so what? So what? Like, what does it matter? What does it matter of these foundational stones of our unity? Well, it matters when you remember the context. Remember, to not separate it from the end of chapter 1. Pretend that that chapter break is not even there. These chapters and verses were added, I don't remember, I think in the 1400s or something, okay? Not when it was written. So remember the context. That the Christians should expect opposition. And it will come externally, and it can come internally as well. And so as fellow citizens of heaven, we can, and we should, and we are united together in these ways. But of course, there can be division in the body of Christ. If you are in the body of Christ, are you united with one another in these ways? Or do you cause division in the body of Christ? Do you cause disunity in the body of Christ? While we're the away team in a hostile environment as soldiers, as citizens of heaven, as ambassadors of Christ. Seek to maintain the unity and the spirit of the bond of peace. The foundation has already been laid. Now seek, be eager to maintain it. So that is the foundation of Christian unity. Let's look at the command of Christian unity, which is just verse 2a. It's really just a few words. The command of Christian unity. And it's just one point. It's simply this. Complete the joy of others. This is the command. He says in verse 2, complete my joy. Complete my joy. Now, in these four verses that we're looking at, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, there's really just one imperative. There's there's just one main verb. There's just one main command. And that is right here in the beginning of verse 2. Make complete. 
Make complete. That's it. Paul is telling this church to complete his joy. And that word simply means to finish something that's already begun. And to complete it. He already has joy. Remember, he's talked about that extensively. How many times have we seen joy already in the first chapter? I mean, over and over again. But he's asking the church to complete his joy by being united together. Now, while he specifically says complete my joy, it's personalized, yes, I think we can understand that for ourselves, we we ought to complete the joy of others in our unity with one another. See, because to be divided and to have this unity, it does not bring joy amongst the body. It destroys joy. And it brings sorrow. And the fact that there's just one imperative here, that he says, complete my joy, I think it communicates that the key to joy, the key to joy, especially in the midst of opposition, it is not focusing on self and our own needs, but rather it is shifting our attention to the needs of others and being united with the body of Christ. That's the key to joy. How is it that Paul's joy will be complete? Through the unity of the body. To know that even amidst opposition and difficulty, they are not turning on each other. They are not seeking their own interests or their own preferences. But they are united in Christ. As fellow citizens of heaven, let us complete the joy of one another by being united in together in Christ. Now what does that look like to be united in Christ? How is that expressed? That's going to be our final section. Verse, second half of 2 on to verse 4. The expression of Christian unity. First we see to express unity by being of one mind. Express unity by being of one mind. Look at what he says in verse 2. Complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How do we express unity? By being of one mind. Now, this does not mean that everyone agrees on everything. Unity within the body does not mean that we all need to think the same on everything. It's okay to have differing thoughts and opinions. In fact, in many ways, that's very good and that's a very helpful thing. Praise God for the diversity even in our thinking. But to be of one mind... It means that we have one direction, one goal. And as a result, we are united in our thoughts and our wills, in our mind. That we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, for the glory of Christ. That's what he's saying. So that even if our our opinions differ, at the end of the day, we can agree. We can be of one mind and say, it's Christ's glory that we are seeking. That's why I believe he says having the same love, right? He says, 
Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Because, because we have the same love together, which is the love of Christ and the love for Christ, because we share in that love, we are of one mind. We have the same love. We have been loved by Christ. And we love Christ. And because of this, now we have the same goal. And because of this, now we are of one mind. Do you see that? If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, can you say that? Can you say that? Do, do you share the same goal? Is your life directed at the same purpose? Are you of one mind? Are you united with the body in this? If so, then what room is there for division? We're of the same mind. We're here for the glory of Christ. That's it. So why have petty arguments? Why hold grudges? Why gossip? Why insist on your own ways? How is that being of one mind? Now part of being of one mind is being part of the body. See, being of one mind is not living in isolation apart from the body, just doing your own thing. Some people think, well, I'm not divided with the body. I'm good with the body. I, I have no qualms with anyone. And yet they isolate themselves and they're not part of the fellowship of the body. See, you may not think that you're not divided with the body, but you've, you've divided yourself with the body. You've cut yourself off. That's not being of one mind. That's being of your own mind. Unity in the body means being of one mind, striving side by side towards one goal, the glory of Christ. Be with one another, together, in partnership, for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, how is this expressed? We express unity by being humble. Express unity by being humble. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul says in order to be united, we are to put off and we are to put on. And first he says we are to put off rivalry and conceit. You see, rivalry within the body of Christ is poisonous. It's the idea that others don't matter as long as you get what you want. In fact, some translations have this as selfish ambition. It's okay to be ambitious. It says selfish ambition. Are you aware of how your decisions 
affect others in the body of Christ? Or are you just thinking, how is this going to benefit me? How will this help me be seen better by others? See, that's selfish ambition. And conceit, he says, to put off. Conceit can be literally translated as vain glory. And indeed, that's all it is. It is just vain glory. It is empty glory. When we seek self-glorification, it's empty. How much do we love the praise of man? How much do we love our own glory? How much do we want others to recognize us, to see how much good we're doing, to notice how much better we are than others? That's vainglory. That's conceit. Instead of seeking your own vain, empty glory, seek Christ's glory. And he says, don't do anything in rivalry or conceit. Instead, put on humility. Count others more significant than yourself. That is so countercultural. We are constantly being told to do what's best for yourself, to look out for yourself, take care of yourself first, and then for others. We're so used to to being on the receiving side of things, right? It's all about me. Let me receive what's best. And so used to pursuing what benefits us most. We live in such a self-seeking society. Let me imagine... You go out to dinner somewhere, and you have a waiter, and oh man, you expect good service, right? You expect them to fill your, your water, your, your little Coca-Cola glass up high every time, and for them to, to bust your tables good and to be nice, and, and you expect good service, and oh boy, if, if you don't get good service, well, they're not going to get a good tip. They didn't earn it, right? Why? Because you expect, I'm going to be served here. They're my server. Or maybe you come here to TYG and you expect certain things. You expect certain ways to be served. You expect that the game is going to be the game that you want. It better be Gaga Ball or else. You expect the music to be a certain way. Oh, why do we sing these songs? Why don't we sing these? Why is our music like this? Why isn't it like that? I expect my music here to be the way that I want it. Oh, the sermon. Well, I hope the sermon's good. I hope it's not too boring. I hope I get something out of it. And you think, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. You should want something out of it. But if I don't get something out of it, man, what's going on? What's wrong with Luke? What's wrong with this passage? (laughs) Don't say that. The snacks better be good. Because after discussion groups, I'm going to get all the gummy bears I can before everyone else. Oh, what? Veggie straws? Come on. See, look, I'm all ready, right? This is the point. That we go places, we do things expecting to be served. Instead of looking to serve others. I mean, even just think about here at TYG. 
do you come more with a mindset of how you're going to be served, how your preferences are going to be met instead of how you are going to serve others? Think about when you go home. Do you think more about how you're going to be served there and how your preferences are going to be met at home versus how you're going to serve those at home? See, Paul says, put on humility. Count others more significant than yourself. He doesn't even say count others the same. But he says count them more significant. Like Christ, have the mindset to serve, not to be served. You know, it's been said, I I don't know where it originated from, not me. But it's been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. In humility, stop thinking of yourself and start thinking of others. Stop seeking vain glory for yourself. In humility, think of others as more significant than yourself. Lastly, we see to express unity by being others-minded. Express unity by being others-minded. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Be others-minded. You know, in a culture of selfies <laughs> and, and just the self-made social media in, in, in which we, we garner all of the likes and all the followers that we can, I think this is very hard. To be others-minded. To be others-minded in a culture that is so self-seeking. This is very difficult. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is not self-seeking. We're to be others-minded. And once again, Paul has a put off and a put on. He says, put off looking at your own interests. Put that off. And put on looking at the interests of others. Now notice, he doesn't completely condemn having your own interests. He says, not only your own interests. What he's condemning is the selfish, dominating interests of your own at the expense of prioritizing others ahead of yourself. What he's saying is, don't be self-centered. Be others-minded. Remember, we are to be unified with one another. I think people often mistakenly think that the biggest obstacle to unity is is the difference of opinion. That that if only we could agree on this, then we would be united. But we just can't seem to agree. That's why there's disunity, because we can't agree on this. But that's not true. The the real obstacle is not the difference of opinion. The real obstacle is self-centeredness. It's okay to have different opinions. It's okay to have different preferences, but that shouldn't cause division. We should be united 
even amongst those differences, what is causing the division is self-centeredness. We're too concerned with our own interests and not the interests of others. I think that's what he's getting at. Are you others-minded? Or are you self-centered? Do you genuinely care for others? Do you genuinely listen to their needs? Do you make decisions based on their interests? Or on your own interests? Paul says, look, for the sake of unity, to complete my joy, look to the interests of others ahead of yourself. Well, as we close, we remember that Paul's saying, you are a citizen of heaven, so walk accordingly. And know that opposition will come. That it will come externally and it will come internally. So be united with one another for the sake of the gospel. Now we talked a lot about unity within the body tonight. But we cannot separate this, this unity and, and just isolate it away from its core, which is the gospel. See, unity is great. And we should maintain unity in the body. And we should pursue unity in the body. But being unified just to be unified is not what we should seek. Or being unified just to make it easier on ourselves is not what we should seek. The gospel of Jesus Christ should drive us to unity. See, the body of Christ is, is, is not a social club that we're just trying to add members so that we can be proud of our group and so we should just be united so we can be a nice, strong social club. That's not what this is. The gospel of Jesus Christ and His glory is what drives our unity. We are the bride of Christ. We are His church. We are His body. He laid down His life for us. And we have been made new. And we have been adopted by the Father. And we are now citizens of His kingdom. And as citizens of His kingdom, we live on mission here for the faith of the gospel. And we are one body. We have one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So what are we to be divided over? Will we divide the bride of Christ because of petty disagreements and preferences? Will we in our pride cause division within his body? If you are at all divided with the body, 
or if you at all are struggling with unity within the body, I urge you to go back to the gospel. Remember that the Father loved you when you were a sinner, an enemy, hostile to him. Remember that the Son, in humility, counted others more significant than himself and laid down his life on the cross. Remember that the Spirit sealed you and is perfecting you and he's keeping you even through the sins in which you commit every day. And know that this is true for you. And know this is true for everyone in the body of Christ. That all of this is given to you by his grace. And it's not earned. It's not that you deserve it. But you receive the love of God solely by his grace. So the next time you may be tempted to think, well, so-and-so does not deserve your love. Remember the love that you have received from God. And remember, you don't deserve that love either. Now, if you are here and you're not a Christian, and you realize that you don't deserve the love of God, you're exactly right. You don't. And neither do I. No one does. That is the beauty of the gospel. That you will never deserve it. But God freely gives it. And is to be received by grace through faith. If you are not a Christian, don't seek to make yourself right before you come to God. You can't. Come as you are. Come in faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sin. And if you are in Christ, remember you are a citizen of heaven. And so be united together with one another and let us together proclaim Christ and live boldly for his glory. Not in isolation. Not on our own. But together. As one body striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the unity that we have in your spirit through the blood of Christ. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to maintain this unity. God, that if there are any seeds of division, that you would remove them. God, I pray that we would seek your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your love and that we would show that to one another. God, I pray that we would live on mission to proclaim your gospel, that we'd walk in a manner worthy of your gospel. And Lord, I pray that as opposition comes, that we would not create opposition within ourselves, within your body, but that we'd be united together in this spiritual warfare, striving side by side. For your glory. God, I pray even as we discuss these things, 
that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would encourage one another in the Lord, that your spirit be working in us. God, may we worship you in this time. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.